My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Last week I shared a little bit of my story growing up. A couple, couple more points I want to bring out today. It was 40 years ago at this season that my mom looked in the newspaper for a piano. She was looking to find a piano for my sister and myself and she found one in the paper along with a garage sale. She went there, met this gal named Ann Law, and she wanted the piano but didn't have the money for the piano. So Ann decided to trust my mom, and uh, she decided to be generous and said, well, why don't you pay me a little bit every week after you get paid? <coughs> and then when you paid it all up, you can come and get the piano. And uh, so she did, and uh, I took lessons for six months, and that's as far as that went. Um, but there is a journey with this piano, because by building a relationship with this gal, that summer when my mom came to Christ, uh, she started taking us to church, which was really weird for me, because she, she came home one day after work. She had come to Christ on the way home, because she had gotten in the car, and there was a radio preacher on. She usually listened to something else, and then it was there. She decided not to turn the channel. Anyway, she pulled over the side of the road, responded to Christ, came home, told us she was a Christian. I thought she was kind of whack because, first of all, she's mom, but secondly, you know, when you're a teenager, everything's kind of weird, and, and plus, I, I mean, we're already good enough. We're already Christians, right? Born in America. We're going to make it. We're going to be fine. Well, she started taking us to church, and I resisted and resisted, and there's a lot of stories in re regards to that, but finally, four Forty years ago, December of this coming year, was when I responded to faith in Christ. And lo and behold, Anne went to that church, this little Baptist church in Petaluma, California, and her husband Dave was there, and I ended up befriending him. He ended up hiring me. He's the one that had the mechanic shop, the gas station I worked at, Five Corners Automotive, and I learned to pump gas. I learned to service cars, learned to clean restrooms I shared last week, uh, but I learned about being discipled, and Dave one day came up to me. I was after school. I was pumping gas. He said, hey, Gleason, what are you reading in the Bible? Thankfully, I'd been reading the Bible because you didn't want to not have a good answer for Dave. And I said, well, actually, I, I've just been reading this verse, and it's Nahum 1-7. Now, it's like, I don't remember where that came from because nobody just reads Nahum. Okay, it's nobody's favorite book, but I love this verse. I just quoted it for Dave. I said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. And uh, we talked a little bit about that, and, and he goes, that's good. That's good. He walked away. I'm like, whew. Okay, I'm safe. Until he came back a little later, goes, hey, what are you doing tonight? 
I said, I don't know, nothing. And he said, why don't you come to the rescue mission with me? We're going to go to Santa Rosa, the rescue mission. And we went, you know, on Tuesdays. And, and I actually don't think I'd ever been before. And so I had no idea what I was, you know, getting into. I said, sure, why not? You know, so uh, we're in the van that night after it got cleaned up at the shop. And uh, we're on the way up. And it's only about 30 minutes to get there. And somewhere along the journey, he looked at me and said, hey, why don't you preach tonight at the mission? I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. He goes, yeah, just preach that verse you shared with me. I'm like, great, way to open my mouth. You know what I mean? And so I protested. I mean, you know, I'm a shy kid. I'd never spoken in front of anybody in public. I was never going to preach God's word in public. I was never going to do anything like that. And by the time we got there, I had lost the argument and I was going to preach. And so thankfully, it was the shortest sermon those guys ever heard. Half of them were probably drunk anyway, and it was all okay. We had a meal with them. But that was the moment God began to move in my heart. And through that relationship with Dave, God began to put a ministry calling in my life. Now, I share all that with you because two weeks ago, I was down in Petaluma and I did Dave's funeral. And I shared this verse and I've never preached it in the interim, you know, 38 years or whatever. And I stood there in front of old friends and family. And I said, you know what? It's good to be here. In fact, it's better to be here than at a party, which is kind of a weird way to start a funeral, you know, because wouldn't you rather be anywhere but a funeral? I'm especially a party. And I started sharing this passage and what Dave had done and how this, I got to preach this sermon and share, a, you know, an opportunity for people to come to Christ. It was all because of that relationship. It was that journey of discovering what God can do in your life. But in a painful moment, there were a lot of tears. There have been a lot of tears in the last couple of weeks. I've lost some dear friends and people that have discipled me in the last number of months. But as I stood there, I said, you know, what we have together as followers of Jesus Christ, even though we grieve and we mourn and we weep, we have a hope. And that in those moments, God wants to teach us something. He wants to do something in our hearts. He wants us to kind of have a perspective that we don't often get. And I actually want to talk about that today because those words I quoted were from Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have a Bible, you can open up there. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at some verses in chapter 7. And as you turn to Ecclesiastes 7, uh, which is a whole lot easier to find than Nahum, trust me, <laughs> just go to the middle of the book and go a couple more books up and you'll get to Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, this, it's this picture that you never really know what's inside of you until the heat comes on. It's kind of like a tea bag, you know. I like tea, and, uh, and when you drop that tea bag in hot water and you just watch, all of a sudden, the life of that leaf comes out. And that's what problems are like. That's what pain is like. That's what the struggles of life are all about, is that we will be dropped in hot water. And the question is, what is going to come out? We are a people that run from pain. We hide from pain. We deny pain. We take pills so we don't feel pain, right? We are good at making life comfortable, but we don't grow entirely in the comfortable times. In fact, rarely do we grow in the comfortable times. We grow in the painful times. We go, grow in the times of mourning and the times of grieving and the times when all of life is falling apart. And Solomon, in the text he's going to talk today, and he's going to share it from a big picture perspective, is that what really matters is for us to walk a long journey with God, knowing that in the midst of the struggle, 
in the midst of the pain, he is there, he is real, and we have a family that surrounds us. Now, Solomon's wisdom starts off in chapter 7 in regards to this. He says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Now, uh, some of the translations talk about oil. What's going on here is that back in that day, uh, they didn't have showers like we have. People didn't take baths like we take them all the time. And so as you would live your life, you would just begin to reek. Let's just be honest, right? And you would smell bad. And so if you were going to go someplace, you would put on this oil, or we would call it perfume or cologne today. And you would just douse yourself with that, right? And we would have this odor, this good odor that overcomes hopefully the bad odor, right? And, and what he's saying is you can do that in moments, but if you really want to have a good perfume, a good smell, a good a fragrance in life, you need to have a good name. And a good name is not built in just a splash of cologne or a dash of perfume. A good name is built over the seasons and over the years, And this is about perspective, my friends. This is about not just about having a flash in the pan moment of a friendship or even spiritually speaking, but about the consistency that comes along in your life when you live a life of faithfulness. Nietzsche said it well when he said it's about a long obedience in the same direction. That's what matters. Not that we're going to be perfect. We're not. Not that we're not going to struggle because we are. But when we consistently live a life of faith of hope, of love, that's when we get a good reputation. That's when a good name or a reputation about God is established. When people know the ins and the outs, the ups and downs of our lives, and they see God in us showing up. It's not uncommon for me to see people who have a great emotional high with God. People will come in, and they'll have this deep need for God, and their lives will be broken, and they'll have this falling apart moment, and they pray, and they get baptized, and then within a couple weeks or a month, they're gone, right? Because things are better. Things are just back to normal, right? And, and that's not the kind of faith that is going to change your life. You know, that's like calling out to God when you're in the foxhole, right? You know, and, and, and yet what really matters is a life that shows consistent journeying with God. And if you're emotionally built, as all of us are, some of you are even more emotionally built, you're going to have some mood swings, right? Some ups and downs. And what you and I need to do is to center ourselves more on this faith with God to balance this out. Because what people are really looking, and I I think they're really looking for in this world today, are people who are living a long, faithful life. That is a good name, a good reputation. Far better than just a splash or a flash in the pan, right? He says here, and the day you die is better than the day you're born. This uh, goes back to last week when he talks about we're all going to die and we're all going to wake up to this moment of real reality because we all die here physically and we are all eternal creatures, the Bible says. So we are going to live forever somewhere in a relationship with God or outside of that relationship with God. Better to spend your time, here it is, at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. Thanks. I'm really looking for encouragement today, James. That's good. Everybody dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. What Solomon is getting at is that there are some things that we only learn in the deep, dark moments of our life. And yet we, even as Christians, we run from that. We, we have a, you know, a, a problem and we cry out to God and we go, God, why have you forsaken me, right? We, we wrestle with some matters of faith and we're like, why has God abandoned us, right? We have some struggles in our relationships here on the earth. We go, oh, where is God when it hurts, right? 
But the fact is, he's right in the middle of all that. I love how David says it in Psalm 23. It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not death itself. That's a valley of shadow of death. That is a journey where the sun is not shining anymore. And we're walking in that shadow. And we're in the middle of all of it, not knowing when we're going to get out. When I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, you're right beside me. You're holding me up, God. You're guiding me. And, but you won't experience that if in the midst of the shadow or at the beginning faint glimpses of just some darkness, you just hit it and run, right? There are some things in life that you only learn in pain and sorrow and sadness. And Solomon says, don't run from that because the depths of experience, the human experience is found in the middle of that. He says, or a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. He's going to talk about this for a bit in some of the verses. He's going to say, it's really foolish just to spend your time thinking about having the next good time because those are going to run out. Those are going to die down. You eventually have to go home. And if you don't know how to experience life in the good and the bad time, you don't know how to experience real life. You're just going to numb yourself by going to parties versus waking up and going to funerals. Now, they're not going to make a movie called Funeral Crashers, okay? But it's, you know, people crash weddings, right? Because everybody's dressed up, everybody's dancing, everybody's having a good time. There's cake, there are presents, right? But think about this. Maybe one of the wisest things you could do is crash a funeral and just go in and wear black and walk in and weep with those who weep even if you don't know the person. How many of you have experienced the death of a loved one in the last year? Not, we don't want that. We don't look forward to that. We don't say, wow, we get another opportunity to grieve, right? But there's something you and I can only experience. There's, a, there's only opportunities for growth in those areas of the deepest, darkest, saddest times of our lives in the depressive times of our lives, when we reach out to God, because God is all that we can find, right? Solomon says, if you really want to grow, if you really want to deepen your experience and have the reputation that's going to far outlast you, you have to have a depth to your life, an emotional and spiritual depth. He goes on to say this in verse 5. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Well, what's going on here is he's saying, if you've ever gone camping, you've ever gathered gathered some kindling or a little bit of firewood, you put all that brush or all those thorns or whatever might be there, and you light that up, and it lights quickly, and it makes a lot of noise, and it's got a bright light, but it doesn't actually last. And he says, "That's, that's what it's like if you only think about the good time. If you surround yourself with the folly of fools or the laughter, after a fools. That's what foolishness sounds like. It sounds light. It sounds fun. Makes a lot of you know noise and a lot of brilliance, but it has no depth. Do you want to have some depth in your life? Spend time with a wise person who will be honest with you, deathly honest with you, who will sit down and say, "Let's have a conversation." Solomon says this in, in Proverbs. He says it's like iron sharpening iron. Now that creates a lot of sparks, right? But that's the only way. To be sharp in life is to grow. Is sometimes you need to sit down with someone who loves you, who deeply cares for you, but is going to be honest with you and say, I've noticed this about your life. 
I've seen this about your life. The times when I have really grown and really changed are when people that are older and wiser than me have sat down and said, James, can I point out something in your life? And did I want to hear that? Absolutely not. Did I agree with them? Of course not. I had every reason under the sun why I was doing what I was doing. But wisdom came when I said, none of that really matters. What matters is what they're seeing in me because that's what other people are seeing. And I don't want that. So I have to change and I have to adjust. Solomon says here, this is the reality if you just hang out with people who agree with you. But if you want to have real growth, don't hang out with fools, hang out with wise people. Extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Boy, I need that on my list of projects, right? Finishing is better than starting. How, how many of you have projects like in the middle of everything, right? Yeah, exactly. We need a recovery group for people like us. So, all right. But the problem is we'd start the group, we'd never finish it, right? <laughs> Patience is better than pride. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Now, what, what he's doing here is he's giving us some axioms, some principles to live by. And when you take a look at just one of the verses, one part of the phrase in there, you can learn a lot. But when you take a look at the whole, he's saying basically this. When you look at your life, laughter's fine. Laughter's fun. It's good to have a good, go watch a comedy. That's great. Um, but that's not really going to change your life. What's going to deepen your life and change your life is the sobriety of life and examining that one day, my friends, we're all going to die. One day, people will be at our funeral. And if you really want to grow wise, think about that day. We do a, a, a men's group called Men's Fraternity, and we've done it for a number of years. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a challenge. And in our first season of Men's Fraternity, we talk about that. We talk about the fact that one day we're going to die, and people are going to come to our funeral, and they're going to say things. The question is, what are they going to say? At my friend Dave's funeral, we talked, I shared about how he poured into my life, how he believed in me, how he, you know, put me in positions that were far over my head. I was in the pit crew at the raceway, Petaluma Raceway. I was, in the, I was one of the mechanics. And when you're in a pit crew and the car comes in and something's wrong, you have to think quickly. You have to diagnose quickly. You have to troubleshoot quickly. And you have to get on it right there because you're losing time. If a tire goes out, you've got to be there. You know, something's wrong. You've got to attend it because you've got to get that car back out, right? Uh, he even believed in me enough to let me race. I got to race, you know, in mechanics race. And he believed in me enough that I wasn't going to destroy the car, okay? All right? But it was fun. And he looked at me, and he said so many times, well done. Those are the moments in our life when we surround ourselves with people who are going to challenge us and speak truth. And Dave told me some things that were really honest that I needed to change in my life. And so I shared that at his funeral. Other people shared things like that. What are they going to share about you when you're said? all done and gone. What, what, what are they going to say about you? What's going to be on your, your tombstone? That's what we talk about in men's fraternity. Well, then what are you going to do about it? How many years do you have left? Or maybe do you think you have left? What will you do today that will matter for the rest of your life and beyond? Now think about that spiritually because the Bible says we all live forever somewhere. We do. We all, we're all, we have a moment where we're born and we have a moment where we die, but the Bible says there's this eternal life in the sense of with God or without God that lasts forever. That when we respond and receive the message of Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross for us, we put our faith and trust in him, then we're guaranteed a future eternity with God. 
The Bible describes it as heaven on earth in the peace and presence of God. But then it also describes this, this hellish reality where we're separated from God, living forever with the results of our sinfulness and the punishment of all that, getting what we deserve. And, and that, that's a, that should be a sober wake-up call to all of us, right? Which pathway are we on? Because it's one or the other. In fact, the Bible says we're born on the pathway that's bound to eternal destruction. But only in Jesus Christ do we find eternal, true, full life. It's good to think about that. It's a sobering moment to wake up to the reality that one day we're all going to go that way. We're all going to die. What will people say about us? But more importantly, what will God say about us? That's wise thinking. That's sober thinking. It's good to hang out. It's good to have parties. It's good to laugh. But if all you ever do is surround yourself with jokers, you might end up the fool. Solomon goes on and he wraps up this section of Ecclesiastes by saying, wisdom is even better when you have money. That's a good, I like that. Wisdom is better when you have money. That's good. That's good. Uh, Both are benefit as you go through life. And we all said, amen. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. See, we fool ourselves thinking money will save our lives if we just have more money. But again, you can be a fool. It's, it's not bad to have money. It's, it's great to have money, but it's, it's better to have wisdom. And you have both, you're in a great spot. He says, accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. He's talking about a journey. He's talking about a pathway of our life. And, and if, you know, if you're younger and you're dreaming about it, I remember those days when you're you know, 14 years old, 16, 18 years old, you're 20, 22, you're, you're looking ahead, you're going, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You're going to make plans. Those are wonderful plans. Those are great plans. Just realize that it's probably not going to turn out that way. And if you think that way, you haven't been to college yet. Because what do you change majors six times in four years? You know, that's, those are the averages. And, and we think we're going to do this. And then you get a degree and then you go, I'm not going to do that anymore. How many people, raise your hand, got a degree and didn't for the life of you do what your degree was all about? Raise your hand. Absolutely. That's right. I went into business management accounting. Hello. That has nothing to do with preaching and pastoring, right? Okay. But it was helpful for running and leading a church. Okay. But it's like we go into these things, right? I, one of our friends here, Molly, she's a, a missionary down on the campus at Oregon State. She went in to work with dolphins, and now she's a missionary. I'm like, dolphins and missionaries. I don't think dolphins are coming to Jesus, but somehow that works. But what God teaches us in those seasons, he then turns the corner and uses those for over here. So the reality is we're living a long life. What is God going to do in the long range of your life? Well, it's only going to matter if you give your life to him and cry out for his wisdom because you can't fix it on your own. But what you can do is realize that all the good things and even the bad things come from God. I was thinking about this this last week. Um, A good thing that's come into my life, a good person that's come into my life is Heather Brown. Now, at first, when I became youth pastor, I didn't think that. And you can ask her this story, and she'll tell you in all its glory. After about six weeks, I met her at the copy machine at the old building over on Rogan Street. And I said, Heather, I think I'm going to quit, and it's because of you. She was mean. She was merciless. She was teasing. She was taunting me. She was having a good time. I was dying inside. I thought she was the world's worst person on the planet. 
And she just started, she broke down to tears. Like, well, I thought you were cruel. She goes, no, I'm just having a good time. Well, paradigm shift, hello, now I understand. Now I'm jabbing her back, having a good time. We're, you know, we're going at it, we're enjoying each other. And now all of a sudden a new relationship, right? It's great. And then the senior pastor leaves and I become senior pastor. And she looks at me, she goes, okay, James, are you gonna do the hospital visits and the, all the prayer calling and all this and all this? I go, that, I, that God's not wired me like that. I mean, I go to hospitals and I, I, I don't, I actually need to go to the hospital as, as a result of going to the hospital, right? You know, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about that. I, you know, I'll do things, but, and, and I, she goes, who's going to do it? I go, well, why don't you do it? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, Heather, look, you're ministering to your daughter who's sick. You're ministering to your husband. You go to the VA like twice a day. You drive into town. You know more than I know. And then she lost her daughter. She lost her husband. They, they died a shortened life. And she went through that process. And then one day she came and she goes, hey, there's this thing called grief share. I go, that's perfect. You should do that, Heather. You should lead that. First of all, because you caused me grief, but you've experienced a lot of grief. And now you're on the other side of that. And then last night I I asked her in the service, I go, how many are in this season's grief share? 32 people. That's more than capacity. Why? Because everybody grieves, right? But not everybody grieves with a hope. And Heather comes alongside people and helps them in that process. Not long ago, I was in the, uh, the front of the office there, and I was checking in with the ladies. And somebody, got, somebody came in, a gal came in. I said, hey, how can I help you? Hey, I'm here to see Heather. And Heather was busy. I go, well, she's going to be there in a minute. Why don't you sit down? Tell me your story. What, you know, what's, what's up with Heather? And she's like, oh, well, she leads my grief share class. Really? Okay, tell me. This gal lost her husband recently, had a child was in pain in this moment. And she started coming to sunrise, was telling me about the messages of the last couple of weeks and how all this has ministered to her, how she's coming to faith with Jesus Christ because of a painful season in her life that no one would ever pray for, right? But she encountered it. My friends, that's what life is all about. I was sitting in a meeting this week and it was something to do with the Chamber of Commerce and it was kind of fun and I didn't know everybody and I was sitting around the table. I go into a room and I'm, you know, there and, you know, my input is needed for this decision or whatever. And it's like, great. And the gal next to me is like, hey, is Heather Brown still work, you know, for you? I'm like, yeah, she still does. Uh, She's older than dirt, but man, she's still kicking, you know, and she's kind of retired. She'll never really retire. And, um, and I said, how do you know Heather? Grief share. I'm like, do you know how many people have been served because somebody's gone through pain and other people have found healing because of that? You know, We pray for blessings, right? But if all we ever had were blessings and all we held on, we'd fall over. So you know what God does? He gives us burdens on our back that balance us out. And here's what I've discovered is when we give our blessings away to others and bless others, that the burdens go from being something we carry on our back to becoming blessings that we give to others. Heather, she used to annoy me with this statement. She goes, where are the blessings? Look for the blessings. There's got to be blessings. I'm like, seriously? It'd be a blessing if you quit asking me that, right? But I came to discover that it's true. In the midst of all the pain, you've got to look for the blessings, my friend. Because what God wants to do is take all that pain in life and all that sorrow and all that sobriety that comes when we face the deepest, most painful parts of our lives and turn it around for good to others. Uh, half-brother of Jesus, James, says it this way. Uh, He says, 
Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, by the way, have you ever tried to paint a room and you make a decision, you got some friends, you got some family, you're like, hey, let's paint the bathroom. What color are we going to paint it? We're going to paint it blue. Then you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you're like, "Uh, I didn't realize there were a thousand blues. Could you just make it easy? It's like, they don't make it easy at all. You know, some people stand there at the dessert thing and they look and they can't make a decision. I stand there in front of the bear thing at, um, at Home Depot and I'm like, I'm just stunned. It's like, I didn't know there were that many colors. And you're like, let's pick red. It's like, would, have you thought about red? There's not just a red. It's like, well, that's got too much brown. That's got too much gray. That's got too much blue. That red's got too much green. Just give me red. You know, it's like, well, we don't have red. Have you even tried to buy white? There's not even such a thing as white. There are so many colors of white, right? Okay. Well, multicolors, that's what James is saying here, because that's the idea of this verse. When multicolored troubles, when a variety of troubles, every shade of trouble comes your way, whatever struggle you're going through is what he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect or mature, complete, needing nothing. James says this, not, not become a masochist again, but, but, but be a person that when you encounter a problem, realize that God wants to use that pain and that problem and that trouble in a positive way, in a refining way in your life. And so consider it a a moment of joy. Have a perspective change when you encounter sorrow because God wants to grow you up. He wants to mature you. But it's going to take a lot of pain and endurance to get to the point where you're complete, where you're mature. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. And I do not like the black horse of affliction. I like the white horse of fun, right? Don't you? I'd rather welcome that horse in, right? But that's not where we grow up. The Lord's mercy shows up when we need it most. Um, I read a lot of books, and, you know, um, I was reading a book from a doctor recently, uh, Dr. Seuss. And um, (laughs) I like kids' books. I mean, come on. Hop on Pop, that's an awesome book. There's some theology in that one, right? Well, actually, a kid's book that I encountered in college that did have a tremendous effect on my life. Uh, It's called The Velveteen Rabbit. Anybody read The Velveteen Rabbit? If not, you will. You're going to go buy it today. It's a great, great, great book. Uh, This is The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. There's one little pullout I want to quote here. Let's take a look at these words. What is real? Asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with you, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and are very shabby. He's talking about grandparents right there, yeah? (laughs) 
But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. See, reason this ministered to me was because I had this vision of achieving something and being right. And, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, sharp edges and needing to be carefully kept is going to keep me from the reality of the human experience. And what you and I need to do is we need to be real. But being real means allowing pain to come into our lives, allowing our hair to fall out or our skin to be rubbed off or joints to become loose or shabby, our eyes to pop out. Sorry for that metaphor. But, you know, it's, it's like, you know, that toy that's so loved on. I still have my love toy when I was a kid. And I have it in a bag in my closet. I don't pull it out because it's old and fragile and fall apart. My boys have their love toy. Those, those, those things are so precious to us, but they're worn down over time. And what God wants to do is allow us to be worn down over time as we experience pain and suffering and sorrow because that's when we can be soft for others. That's when we can be attractive to people experiencing pain. That's when we can be the body of Christ, the family of God, the hands and feet of Jesus. Not when everything's going well. That doesn't relate. But when things are going poorly, when we're struggling, when we're sick, when we're going through discouragement, when we're going through questions, that's when we need one another. And that's when the world sees us and realizes, oh, how they love one another. Look at their walking through the journey of life. Uh, author A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, God cannot use a man or in this case a woman too. God cannot use a man or woman until he has hurt them deeply. Now, I don't, I don't know if you like that kind of God <laughs> that would actually hurt you. But what that means is that what would walk you through the valley of the shadow of death intentionally so that you would get to the other side different, changed, radically close and intimate with God so that you could become close and intimate with others. That's what we need as a church. Not a bunch of people that come in that look perfect and act perfect, have the right words, say the right prayers, but people who are worn and shabby and broken and hurt who've experienced the love of Jesus Christ. And now together with one another, we welcome people along the painful journey of life. People who are willing not just to laugh, but to cry. Not just to want the good time, but actually to enjoy sitting and soaking in the sorrow with you because that is where a family is found. We have our ministry, uh, our recovery ministry on Thursday nights, and we have a tremendous opportunity for this. We have groups. Here's a couple of them. Understanding the masculine journey, kind of a toxic masculinity struggle that some guys are going through. Financial Peace University talked about that last week. Conquering codependency. Grief share. There it is. Uh, you can't join that one. It's already going on. And if you add more, Heather will give me grief because like 32 is the max. But we roll this often. We'll roll divorce care. We've got all these groups. Divorce care for kids. We've got coming up. Mental uh, health support group. Untangle Relationships, Conquering Men's Purity, uh, 12 Steps, uh, DDA Dual uh, Diagnostics, the co-ed group there. We've got more groups than can fit on a slide. But they're there because this is the reality of life. This is the painful part of life that we have to be honest with. And we have to come together as a family and say, God, what do you want to do with it? In recovery, we talk about it this way. The thing that happened to you, the season, the moment, the encounter, whatever it was that you want to bury 
cover up and never, ever, ever reveal to anyone because it's filled with too much pain and sorrow. That is the exact thing that God wants to uncover, unearth, dust off, clean up, change and put into the midst of his light and give you a different perspective on it because that's when you can relate to people who've gone through those problems. And that's when we are the family of God relating to people out in our community with struggles. That's how a person like a Heather Brown can be so well known and loved in the community because they see what grieving has done to her and how that's been turned around to welcome other people that are grieving. And Jesus is found in the midst of our suffering and sorrow. Let's pray together. Father, I know that in a room this size, in a group with this number of people, we've experienced pain. Maybe we're experiencing it right now. Maybe it's sadness or sorrow or questions or doubts, or we don't even know how to express the fear or the frustration we're feeling right now. God, I pray that that would cause us not to shrivel up, not, not to be filled with such fear, but to enter into relationships. Because even in the middle of relationships, questions are allowed. Doubts are allowed. Confusions are allowed because that's the real part of life. Because we know that you are a God that loves you. You're a, a heavenly father that cares for us. And you invite us to call out to you and cry out to you as Abba, our Papa, our Daddy. And wrap our arms around you because you will hold us. Your spirit will really teach us the things we need, encourage and comfort us along the journey as we walk the faith and the journey of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in you and what Jesus has done on the cross that we are brought into this saving relationship with you. The good news is that you loved us so much that you did not leave us in our brokenness and sin, but you brought us to the point of seeing Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, dying on the cross for our brokenness and our sin. And he covered all that, and now we're in a relationship with you, God. And we just invite you to reveal the depths of our heart. May we not become hypocrites. May we not become plastic people, but terry cloth people that are soft and that are welcoming to others, that maybe, you know, have gone through the experience of becoming real which is a painful experience because what we need and what the world needs and our culture around us is to see real, not shiny, not flashy, not perfect, but real because that's who you are. You're a God who's real. We call out to you and invite you to give us the boldness to be honest about our fears and our failures, our sorrows and our sufferings, our pain and even our pleasure, God. May we be a church family that welcomes one another in love, in the good and the bad times. And we can do this because of what Christ has done for us. In his name we pray, amen.